No, was Diane on there? I don't think. We, I think he left. Live. No. She wasn't on there, but we live though. We are live. We I want better live, schools. How, how, we we uh, want them now. How you doing today, bro? Stand in our way. Doing all right, man. And you'll doing catch right. these eight no, black hands with Ankrum this, this week. Cole, El Meki, no, and yes, Stewart. Uh, Join us now for an hour or more. This has been a rough talk on education you know, and culture. Doing okay. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. So. I'm stepping back into a role that I have stepped away from gladly. Uh, I've been very happy to step away from hosting. Uh, and Ray has been hosting, um, you know, both both live and our our, uh, our podcast shows. But today, you know, we're gonna show him some love, and I don't, I just don't think he should host a show that's about him. So, Ray, how are you doing today, brother? Man, I'm doing well. Uh, I saw that promo you did, man. And I just want to tell you, thank you for all the work that you've done in terms of uh, putting this show together, man. I can't wait to to get at it with you, man. That's all right, good, man. We're going we're gonna to have a good time with it. I think that, uh, and you know, one of the things, because I'm hosting today, the show is about Ray. So I know we got our own segments. I know we got our bad takes, and I got my segment, and Reef got his reefisms. But we'll bring that back next week when, when Ray is hosting again. Um you know, it's kind of it's kind of weird to like have those personal like pieces in there when it's like the show is dedicated to somebody else. So we 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 gonna we we not gonna have our bad takes and refisms and my moments and agentic and all that. We are gonna talk about you today and who you are, Chris. How you doing, brother? Yeah, because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Chris, Chris, yeah. look, Chris looked moisturized today, brother. I, I love it, man. How you doing? You know what? Listen, y'all know David Johns. J- David Johns' most moisturizing game is on. If you look at his his Instagram feed, made me feel ashy. So I got. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I got. I got up my game, man. Hey, man. So today, yeah. like I just said, today is special. Uh, I'm stepping just just for this episode. I'm stepping back into the host chair uh, momentarily. Uh, but today is all about Ray, um, and I want to just start out by showing some love. It was it was it was Ray's idea that each of us kind of have a show that just kind of highlights just our work, who we are, kind of get to know the hands just a little bit more. And uh, and he, he was working on it and he forgot to actually include himself, which was like weird. Right. And I didn't want him to, you know, have to do his own show. So today, man, we just let's just start off, Ray, and like just help us understand a little bit more about you, bro. Like like who are you, man? Like, you know, what I'm saying like what was it like for you? Where are you, you know, I know you're from Louisiana, but tell us where you're from in Louisiana and just what was child Ray's life like? Yeah, like how'd you go from Rayman to to Ray to Ray Ray to TSA Ray? You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's hear that. Let's hear that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like, I grew up in Covington, Louisiana. I was born and raised in Covington, Louisiana, uh, about 24 miles from New Orleans. Um I mean, I was always a jovial kid, man. I, uh, I, I felt like I was living a middle-class life up until about the age of nine. And so then at nine, my grandma passed and then poverty kind of struck. Um, life was tough after that, man. It was, you know, I was living with relatives, um, living with my uncle. And then uh, something that happened to my uncle, he, he ended up getting, going away for a while, going to college, as they say in my hood. Um, and then I was just from like uncle to uncle or whatever, no real stability or whatever. And so the only real stability that I had was just going to school and making sure that I was kind of rewriting the narrative in terms of like focusing on education. Because one thing my grandma always taught me, she always taught me that uh, education is going to get you out regardless of whatever it is you get into. 
Um, so that was really my major focus. So, like I said, man, growing up post nine was tough. <laughs> Yo, it was tough. It was tough. Um, at an early age, man, I became tutors for my cousins because that's how I ate. You know, my aunts would, my great aunts, be like, hey, if you come help your cousin do this, then, you know, you can eat or you can bathe or whatever, man. It was, shit was tough, man. I don't like talking about it because, like, it's like, it's really, uh, it's really one of those situations, man, to where, like, it's tough. It's tough to talk about, tough to think about, man. So that's where I'm at with it. Well, you know, we, we want you to be comfortable and, and go wherever you need to go. If that's a place that you don't want to go, then we, we honor and we respect that. Um, Chris, I got I know I got my questions and reach questions, but I want to, you know, I know you got some as well. So um, even if I don't have a graphic for it, what 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 you what you want to know about young Ray, uh, Chris? Young Ray. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, Ray is still young now today. You know, we Charles has been pushing us recently about our identity as fathers. And you and I had a chance to talk this last week about fatherhood and black identity. But I'm just wondering how the shifts went from you living down south to becoming more educated yourself to starting a professional life and becoming a dad. How that all like created you, the you that you are now. Yeah. All right. So. Honestly, me before kids, man, I was reckless. <laughs> I probably uh, I lived my life probably like another person on this show that we won't name. But uh, yeah. And so, you know, I, I think post kids, it kind of matured me because it made me look at things from the perspective of would I want a man to treat my daughter this way or would I want, you know, would I want my son to learn how in, how, how how to properly interact with females or whatever and not be like a, an asshole like I was when I was younger. And so, um, man, I think being a father kind of changed my life. Being a father probably saved my life, to be honest with you, um, because it just it just made me think about things from a from a perspective that that I never that I never had to think about it from. Um, I didn't I didn't grow up with my father. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was like able to provide uh, meaningful experiences with my kids. I wanted to make sure that I was able to take them out of the country, do things with them, show show them uh, things that I was never that just wasn't there for me and just provide them with those opportunities. And so, you know, I, I make a pledge to them yearly. We're going out of the country. We're going to see something that we never saw. Um, so that, you know, you can have the life that I never had. And so I kind of lived through them, um, you know, thinking about some of the things that I never had when I was young, man. Because like I said, growing up was tough. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what's up, man. Um, this is this is from Reef, man. But uh, I'm going to let Reef go ahead and, and, and put his put his signature sauce on it, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just basically, you know, you grew up in Covington. Now you're, you know, this leader in, in Long Island doing great work. And so like in between there, like, you know, what happened? You know, what was going on? Like, how did you you, you mentioned tutoring uh, your cousins? Yeah. Was that like the spark to that you wanted to become an educator? Like, what was it something later? Yeah, it was something later. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you're right. Young women, Naomi. You're right. I'm sorry. Uh, you're my Pepsi coach, and you're always oh. doing. And if, if you can also add to that, you're always doing something with your with your wrist, with your hand. Can you explain that too? Like, <laughs> it's like I think it's like this. Hey, <laughs> you know, people people like to see my hands. Like I, I've gotten opportunities to to uh, be a, a hand model. 
Somebody got oh, hit you on the DM the other way. Okay. All right. Don't believe no, no, Ray, Ray, it's Ray, he's talking like about this. your gang sign, bro. He's talking about yeah. this. Yeah. He's talking about what goes with the question that's on the screen right now. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. yeah. Not okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking about that. It's like light skin disrespect right there. You know? <laughs> you know? All right. So, Reef, your question, man. So, in 10th temp, in temp grade, I was, uh, for, for those of you that are familiar with athletics in Louisiana, I was um, all district and all parish, meaning that, you know, I was kind of I was kind of on my way mm-hmm. to, to, be, to being a big deal in 10th grade. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I did in 10th grade, because, you know, like I said, I was living from house to house, is that um, I was selling drugs, man. And like, yeah, well, and and it was a pretty good criminal enterprise. And so I came to school with drugs because I was, you know, expanding the business or whatever. And then um, I messed around and got caught by my coach um, in a transaction. And me thinking that, man, this is my coach. We just went to the playoffs. We just whatever, whatever. Um, he's probably going to, you know, get smack on the wrist and whatnot, talk to me or whatever. And then, you know, it'll be water under the bridge. But a little unbeknownst to me is that my coach had aspirations to be a principal. And so this was his ticket to kind of getting into the principalship. Like, all right, well, I turned in my star player. Then, you know, I'm kind of showing you where my allegiance is in terms of... Mm in terms of who I am as an administrator. And I think that that was the spark for me because I said to myself, then I was like, I would never do nobody. I would never do nobody who looks like me like that ever. Right. And so there's gotta be a way for us to uplift each other as being black men besides throwing each other under the bus in order to get to the top. Like that shit, it just, it just is embedded in me. And like this is kind of this is the second time that I'm talking about it because I just talked about it on on my podcast the other day from um, Pipeline to Prison, the school to uh, man. It was yo. This, so this is this is therapeutic in the sense that like I'm able to like get it out now. But bro, it, God, like I just I couldn't believe it. And so my mom, my mom was like, "Man, you're not going to no prison in no Louisiana because that everybody in my hood goes to prison. Like mm-hmm. every, I mean, there's nobody that I can go to down there." in Louisiana, in St. Slamity Parish and say, all right, well, has this person not been to jail? A lot of people, most people have. And so my mom was like, hell no, you coming to New York. And so I ended up going to New York, finishing out uh, my high school at at Monticello High School. Shout out to Monticello. And then um, ended up going to the University of Albany. The worst decision in my life going to the University of Albany. I went... 1995, I just did a show the other day with um, my teammates when I played basketball uh, my freshman year. But athletics, I I don't know. Like, athletics in a system, it just wasn't for me. Uh, Not that system. And I didn't do the legwork in order to transfer to go to another school. I ended up staying there for all uh, four years, pledged there, had two senior years. Then transfer, <laughs> transfer to uh, Stony Brook. Don't pledge in your senior year. Uh, transfer to the University of Stony Brook. And then I ended up graduating from the University of Stony Brook. So I don't even tell people that I went to Albany. But yeah, so that's yeah, how I ended up. There. You went there the majority of the time, it sounds like, right? I did, but I don't tell mm-hmm. I just, And I ed- you education I was your major? Um, no, it wasn't. Actually, uh, history was my major. Mm-hmm. Um, history was my major. Uh, 
man. And uh, Long Island, but Long Island is different. Um, the, the campus at Stony Brook, like Long Island is one of the most racist places in the United States. And that's where Stony Brook is or? Stony Brook is on Long Island, yes. Okay. And so, uh, but people don't really, people don't really talk about like how racist Long Island is. And then like for me, I was in a bubble. So like when you're on a college campus, you really don't, you, you see maybe the racist things that happen on a college campus. Mm-hmm. But you don't necessarily see the racist things that happen outside of the bubble or right. whatever. And in, the, and in the other neighborhoods right. and stuff, right? And so like I had a secluded racist experience, racial experience and whatnot, you know, the black folks at the brook, you know, we all got along or whatever. And, you know, it, it was cool. But then outside of the campus, man, it's like, yo, it's, it, they talk about, see, and Reef, I've, hear, I've heard you say this before. They talk about like, oh, Mississippi is racist. Louisiana is racist. Man, listen. New York is racist, right? <laughs> what? This type, yo, this type of racist stuff that happens, man. Woo. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. That's not, that's racism racism is different from Southern racism, man. Like I like I've always kind of said this, like, yeah. like again, people got a lot of jokes for Kentucky or whatnot, but I, I always felt like the rules were very clear in a place like 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 Kentucky versus like the Bay or New York or one of these super liberal places. I mean, this is what Chris has been on. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it's been heartbreaking for him, but it's almost been like Christmas as a gift where he got to get out all this stuff. Like I've been telling y'all that this place is crazy <laughs> racist. Like Northern racism makes you crazy. You Southern racism scares you. Northern racism like takes your psyche and puts it in a twist and binds it and fucking grinds it. Like, you know what I mean? Like a meat Bruh. process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real, man. Yep. And then they after, give you a Pulitzer. After, <laughs> after uh, yeah. you know, when I was in college, uh, yeah. my senior year, <laughs> and a bunch of things happened, right? You know, I went to a state, a small state school near Pittsburgh. Man, this guy pulled out a, a shotgun on my roommate. <laughs> and when the police ended up coming, Guess who they arrested? <laughs> the complaint. <laughs> like it, it was like wow. was, it was like something off a t- you know like if you didn't know you you'd be like oh this is like something off a TV but you know how stuff goes down. They arrested my roommate you know um, for having a gun pulled on him and for telling you know. So yeah, I feel you. I mean, it's a trip to think about. Ray, you lived in Louisiana and then you lived in the North and you're mentioning the racism in Long Island <laughs> and New York. And uh, we both know that there's like Louisiana is a pretty racist state. But what I find hard to explain to people about Louisiana is in some ways, white people in Louisiana are more like black people than white people and black people anywhere else. I mean, they eat the same food. They know a lot of the same things. They know a lot of the same music. They don't like you. You don't like them in a lot of cases. Um, but up north, you're living on two different planets in a, in a way that that isn't the same in the south, you know. Um, but but it's amazing that you lift up the Long Island racism more. more. I, I live it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and it's part of my adult life. And so, you know, uh, my my first masters I did at um at Stony Brook, and uh, during that time I um I was uh, substitute teaching at Ward Melville. It's a um it's a a, a well to do um high school that's around around Stony Brook's campus, mm-hmm. and so it's part of uh, the three village school district. And when I tell you that these kids had everything under the sun in that school. 
that nobody should fail anything because of the the access and the resources and you know it, you know the quality teachers they probably had national board certified teachers in there you know it, calling out so that I could come in and stuff for them <laughs> you know so you know they probably they had everything is what I'm saying and so what drew me to wanting to work in the inner city was that was I was like yo these kids don't need me these these white kids they don't need me black kids need me. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm speaking that into existence, I go back to my room and I get an email and it says free master's degree program in education at Morgan State University. Bruh. I jumped on it, man. I packed, man, I packed up my car so fast and headed down to Baltimore, <laughs> man. Listen, you know, and then so good move. Yeah, man. Uh Morgan State welcomed me. Uh the bruh, the pie chapter bros uh from my fraternity welcomed me. See Naomi, he he ended up at an HBCU after. I was about to say Naomi was dragging you a minute ago, but you could have chosen <laughs> an HBCU. I don't think she was waiting for that pot twist to hit no, yet. No, no, definitely a pot <laughs> yeah. Right there. But um yeah, so ended up in, in Baltimore. So I was in Baltimore for the first uh six years of uh first six years of my educational career. Mm. And like I tell anybody, man, if you could teach in Baltimore, DC, Philly, then you could teach anywhere. Right. And so, you know, the keys to me from getting through those six years was building relationships with kids. You gotta build relationships with kids because you know, if kids don't like you, they're not gonna learn from you. Um, you gotta be willing to go in, you gotta be willing to get your your hands dirty. And once you build a connection with them, they're gonna do anything you need for them, they're gonna move mountains for you in order to in order to get where they need to get, whatever. And then like, you know, inner city families for me, man, I love them. <laughs> they got so much character and whatnot, man. It just and it just makes it just it just makes life easy because when you, once you build a relationship with them, they know that you're not trying to judge them. You're not trying to get at them for what they don't have. You're trying to help their kids. And so, you know, that was a very important part for me. And so after six years, then I transitioned up north. Uh, and then that was my first stint in charter school. So the first six years of my career, I was in a teacher's union. Uh, I was the building rep for the last probably three years of my teaching. So it's like I know both sides of, 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 of the coin in terms of like how unions work and how unions don't work. And so one thing that I wanted to see, I wanted to see how education would work without having to deal with union politics. And so that's what drew me to charter school. And so my first stint at a charter school was, uh, I was a dean of students at Democracy Prep Public Charter School in Harlem. Mm. This was their second year in existence. This was before there was a democracy prep on every corner. And how old are you at this moment? So I'm 28, 29 at this moment. And so, um, you know, I learned a lot of things from Seth Andrew, shout out Seth, uh, and the staff at, um, at, uh, at Democracy Prep. But they knew a lot. And I'm like, well, where did you guys learn this stuff from? And they were like, well, we learned it from Harlem Village because the majority of the people that came to Democracy Prep the first couple of years migrated from Harlem Village Academies. And so I'm like, man, man, I need to go to Harlem Village then. <laughs> and so I ended up going to Harlem Village and I was there um, under uh, Dr. Kenny, Deborah Kenny. Shout out Deborah Kenny. Um, I worked under her for about four years. Um, the fourth year I was the principal of the school. I just wanted to go in a different direction because like zero tolerance was kind of weighing on me in terms of like, 
how I wanted to interact with students and how I wanted to see students be great. And so, you know, a lot of times when you're in a leadership position at a charter school, it's like you can either get with the program or you can develop your own program. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was very important for me in my next move to develop my own program in terms of what I wanted to be as an educator and how I wanted to interact with kids and how I wanted to see kids grow. And so that's what brought me back to Riverhead or brought me back on Long Island. The opportunity presented itself. Um, and I was like, you know what? I come out here. This this was 2013. I was like, all right, 2012, 2012. I come out here, you know, let's get work done or whatever. They had a really good test because I had to select between maybe like three principal jobs. And I ended up selecting um, the one on Long Island. A couple in New Jersey, but I didn't really want to be in New Jersey. Um, so I ended up ended up going to uh, ended up going to Riverhead. Worst mistake of my life. I should have took my ass to Jersey. <laughs> well, well, fellas, uh, I would say for for Reef and Chris, I would say this is like y'all section. Now we in like the actual classroom, the schools, your present, your, your principalship. Uh, you know, and I know Reef had a lot here. What did you want to know uh, just around this phase in his life? Yeah, I mean, I think one, you know, you you mentioned, I was going to ask, you know, were you ever asked to be a disciplinarian, right? You know, you hear a lot of black male, uh, black men who teach, who lead classrooms are asked to, you know, become disciplinarians in the school. And so I was just curious as, you know, was that voluntary? Was that suggested? Was that where you told like, hey, this is the route to administration? How did that occur? Bro, from day one, when I walked into the teacher's job fair, it was like he looked at me. It was like, "Hey, sign him up, man." He Six keep- five black man, come control <laughs> these negroes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he could keep these kids in check. Sign him up. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. yeah, ever since then, man, I just I just moved away from that because I'm like, yo, listen, I'm a scholar before I'm anything else before I'm gonna be anybody's disciplinarian because once you get put in that box of being a disciplinarian, they don't think you could do anything else, and it's hard to get out of that box. Yeah, right? it's so, probably some of the least coached. Folks yeah. in in this in districts, right, are, are folks who are in pigeonhole in that role, right? Yeah, and so for me, it taught it taught me a couple of things. It, as I as I grew as an administrator, when I would have a dean of students, I never wanted that person to be pigeonholed. I never wanted that person to be like that, that one track person or, or or the one do to be able to do a one pony trick. I always wanted that person to be able. To, all right, so you you're gonna go in the classroom, you're gonna observe. You're going to get feedback and you're going to do all you're going to learn every facet of the job that it would take in order for you to be an effective principal. And then you can go back to be a dean because it's going to help you be a more effective dean. Mm. That's what's up. I like that they call you Ray Day. Ray Day is like a thing. That's about to be a hashtag. I just saw that in the comments. That's kind of big. So, Ray Day. So, Chris, I know you've told this story a few times. Um but I guess it's only meaningful if, you know, we got to do it on, on Ray's show. What, since you're the nucleus that brought us all together, what is it that you saw in Ray or his situation or whatever that not only had you meet that brother, but also like bring him into like your circle and like just kind of rock with him from, from, from that moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you meet a lot of people and you don't rock with everybody. So <laughs> what, what, tell us that. I don't rock with nobody. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, Ray and I bonded over um, being attacked. Like, you know, just if you're going to be black in education, education leadership in buildings full of people that are not black, oftentimes aren't male. 
Uh, and same thing in education advocacy. You eventually, gonna, I think you're going to encounter a problem at some point. People are going to be trying to undercut you. They're going to be going through your trash. They're going to be going through your social media. They're going to not like a decision you made and come after you. So when I first met Ray, he was one of the few people that um, that I could instantly connect with because we knew what that was about. Like he had seen that situation. Ray, I don't know how much you want to talk about that situation, but I think it's important because you and I talked about this last week. When other people come into your field, they're going to want to know the real information from you about what it's like to do what you do. And I mean, when I first met you, you were having a very common experience, you know, <laughs> very common. You know, you may not have thought it was common to you, but my, my flags went up right away. Yeah, this is a dude I got to keep talking to. That's part of that invisible tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, mm-hmm. listen, well, it's pretty mm-hmm. visible, right? Very we visible. know it's coming. Right. Yeah. When I was going through it, man, it was like, shit, what is this? I'm, you know, I'm on the daily news. I'm in the daily news. I'm in, you know, I'm everywhere. Like, what the hell? So to give y'all context, um, I was sued by a a, a, a a group of teachers, white teachers that banded together um, to, I guess, call me a racist in, in, in terms of like my approach to education, because I feel a certain way about how black kids should be looked at. I feel a certain way about how black kids should be nurtured. And I feel a certain way about how black kids should be educated. Right. And coming from being a black person, I think that I'm the expert in terms of uh, how our kids should be treated. And so I voiced my opinion about that. And when you voice your opinion and you work with majority white folks, then, you know, it's, it's difficult for them to take that kind of feedback from someone that they don't really from someone that they don't view as a person that they should have to respect. But you were the principal, right? Yes. That, so you were that, principal, that, but you were still an uppity Negro. Yes, absolutely. And so and so what what they mm. what they want you to do is when you're a principal in, a, in an establishment like that, they want you to come in and not really make waves. Right. They want you to come in and they want you to learn how their system works so that you don't have to like interrupt their system so they can continue to do things the way that they do. But that wasn't working for me because black kids wasn't learn. They weren't learning. Right. Mm-hmm. And families mm-hmm. in a 90 percent African-American school, uh, those families weren't happy. They didn't feel like they could engage with the teachers. They didn't feel like the teachers were treating them with respect. Um, and they felt like the teachers were looking at them, you know, like, you know, like how white people look at black people sometimes. And, you know, that was very, you know, it was, it was just not a good situation at all. So that happened. Uh, my board stuck with me. They felt like, you know, mm-hmm. they, they saw something in me and they were just like, you know what, we're going to ride with them or whatever. And so, you know, they rolled with me and now we have one of them, one of the more successful schools in New York state because they believed in my vision. Um, and they allowed me the autonomy to be able to do what I needed to do in order to, I guess, go zero staff and get the people that I needed in there in order to, in order for learning to happen. Mm. I mean, I think it's such an important story, Ray, because I mean, you came through, you stuck with it. You came to the other side. God bless you for having people who supported you through it, because oftentimes that's not the uh, not the case. But you and I talked about this, like what the mentality is of a person like you, though, that doesn't snap, doesn't just like at some point, just like tell read everybody walk in one day and just be like top to bottom, just like, you know, I've had enough of this. Somehow you have to like, I don't know what you do. You did something, but you have to keep it keep it on a, a, a more professional level or something. I don't know what you did to stay sane, but at some point, it feels like you would want to tell somebody where they're Bro, coming from. So I had a I had a nice little workout regimen, yoga, which you hate, 
Mm-hmm. Oh. Now, now I know why you. Now I know why you do the yoga. Okay, now I get it. Your yoga, your yoga is anti-racism uh, uh, activity. Okay, okay, I got you. I got Listen, you. as a black man, did you go to therapy, counseling, or anything like that? With the cornet. Um. Mm-hmm. So honestly, yeah, I use my I use my fraternity brothers as, as my therapy. Um, okay. mm-hmm. And so I was able to. They don't have licenses, though. You know, like some, yeah. some do. Some do. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, no, but you had a circle. You had a support um, group, which is so important. Mm-hmm. I definitely had a support circle. Um, yeah. And then I had, I had, and then eventually I had y'all. So you know, it went from you know the transition from being um, from my fraternity brothers and like close knit people that I could trust because you know I'm on Long Island. I'm by myself. I'm in a bubble. There's not very many many people that I can trust. So. You know, I've I've built it. I built the capacity of trust. My my capacity of trust I've built um, along the way. I've uh, I have a leadership tree similar to uh, uh, what I say, Parcells. Bill Parcells' leadership tree. And so I have people that work. Folks under me don't know who he is, man. Bill I'm Parcells. surprised you old enough to know who he is. Bro. I was about to say that that's going that's going back a ways, isn't it? <laughs> Parcells, but that not that much. Oh, you know him too. All right, all right. My yeah. bad, my bad. He just stopped coaching like just over a decade ago. He he wasn't he was around for a minute. Yeah, and so um, yeah, so so people that worked under me that eventually became principals or whatever, you know, those became that became like my network. So you know, I, yeah. I've had. Uh, Ain't that gratifying too? It's so gratifying, man. It's, hey, you should explain that because uh, people still might not understand. Like what when we talk about the Parcel Tree, like what that means. You know what happened to folks, his assistant coaches, and how that, you know, parlays into you know school leadership. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that based based off of the Parcells tree. So like I'm the I'm the head coach. Right? And then I have people that work under me, like a dean of students or assistant principal, whatever. They work under me. They learn things and they learn how to run a school. Because like I said before, what's most important for me is whatever position that you're in, you need to learn every position that's in the building so that when you become the building leader, nobody can tell you what you can't do. And you can lead by example by saying to them that I'm not going to ever ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do because you have the capacity to do it based off of the training that you got. And a lot of principal uh, programs don't teach you that, but I make it my personal uh, like my personal goal to make sure that everybody that's in an administrative position under me learns that and learns in that capacity. Yeah, and that's so that's dope. When you get the opportunity to go, like I man, listen, I'll see a job post and I'll be like, listen, this is gonna be perfect for you. Right. Like I'm not trying to hold any I will never try to hold anybody back that works works for me because like I wouldn't want anybody to hold me back. So if I see a position and I'm like, man, this will be perfect for you. I don't I'm not saying that I don't want you here, but I'm saying that you're <laughs> great at this position or whatever. Like I'm always trying to build people up, you know, to try to, you know, try to do different things and, and look at different avenues or whatever. I'm just, just always trying to coach people up, man. Listen, that's that's so important, man. Particularly in school, in in school leadership, you know, um, in freedom schools, it's just saying like, you know, train your replacements. But there's so many leaders who lead with their ego, and they want more followers. They don't want more leaders, right? And so, what you're describing is you're developing more leaders, and and you're you're building any organization. You're going to be stronger with that, right? Absolutely, man. Listen, so <laughs> I had to learn this. Well, I'm glad that I learned this, but. The better the capacity of the people, the folks that work with you, the easier your job is going to be. Yeah. Right? So, like at the end of the day, if I want to, if I, if I want to, 
you know, if I want to say, hey, well, I need for you to do this or whatever, I know that these people can do it. And I don't have to micromanage them to the point to where I'm like, well, damn, do they know how to do it or do I need to do this? No, it's just a check in so that I know that everything is, you know, everything is good or whatever, you know. And a lot of times with, with the people that I have, with the principles that I have in place now, bro, I don't even have to check in because I know it's going to get done because I know how they were trained. And I know that I have that trust in them to where I know they're going to do what they need to do. Hmm. How you deal with teachers who cry? So, that's my. I just got to know to like you know as an outside person, I just got things I need to know. How you deal with them? Like so, so you got the teacher. She she breaking down, melting down. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. What, what do you do, man? You tell me. So yeah, honestly, um, <laughs> I try to. I try to. <laughs> first first of all, that's is you said she black. You know, I, I see men cry. Okay, listen. So, I'm not gonna get into this with you, and I'm not gonna do this today tonight. <laughs> I'm not gonna do this. I'm telling you, as a parent, as a parent, I have yeah. seen teachers cry. Bro, uh, I, I, and it kind of freaks you out a little bit. It freaks you out just a little bit. So I want to know, Ray, as a, yeah. so, as a school leader, I think it's important, it's important to to. It's so first of all, I have I have a relationship with all of my with all of my teachers. Okay, that sounds bad. I, no, no, no. <laughs> that sounds like an HR issue. But keep going, bro. <laughs> Guy. Don't take that bait. Don't do it. I'm not gonna do it. Right. So so almost did. So, so I know I, I know social distancing, bro. Social distancing. Keep it up. So humor, humor works, right? So like in a situation to where like, you know, I've had situations where teachers have lost control of situations and they're blaming themselves and whatnot and they're really down on themselves, whatever. I try to look at the positive in the situation and then focus on the positive before we talk about the things that that uh, they could have done differently in terms of improving the situation, but like I, you know, cry, cry, that's one of my that's one of my weaknesses. I, I probably need professional development on on handling uh, crying uh, teachers because I don't know that I'm the best at doing it. But you know, I know I'm not the worst. If you sitting up here talking about if Reef sitting Reef talking about men crying, I don't, well. <laughs> keep the door open, have a witness there, document what the conversation is, yeah. and. And, and have somebody check those notes and even the crying party. I'm just letting here's, you know. I'm asking too, because we keep we keep hinting at, you know, you're over six feet tall. Yeah. Um, they're not crying because of me. They're not coming to but, but, I know, but, but you're in a position of having to like I don't know, you're in power, you're tall, you're black, you're a male, and you're looking to somebody, you're looking at somebody who's none of those things. Yeah. And there's this historical dynamic between the two of you in that moment. I just don't know professionally how y'all prepare for something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> right. It takes a lot, man. You, um, but you, like Charles was saying, Charles is not wrong in terms of like having a witness. Like I went from being very cordial to folks to being like, yo, you need to come in this office and, uh, and supervise this conversation that I'm having with this person mm-hmm. as notes are happening as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it definitely had gotten to that point for me, but now I have principles. And so like I've three people report to me now. So like, those are the people that I'm having difficult conversations with. I'm not having difficult conversations with teachers per se. That's their job. So, you know, God is good. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I saw a lot of people comment on the crying piece. I, and I think that is really important because I don't want them to miss. I think there's a lot of nuance in, in what we're talking about right now. And so part of this crying thing and I'm just going to call it white tears. It don't have to be from a white woman. 
but most of the time it is. And it's a really, really powerful thing. And it does a few things. One, it takes the focus off of where it should be, which is on education and learning and the issue at hand. Two, white tier like those tears have led to there's a history of those tears being lynched uh not just fired not just removed not just disgraced right but like killed you know what i'm saying and murdered right and so even in my doctoral program i experienced that like it's like yo you the professor why are you crying right because we pushed on this thing and now we no longer talking about the issue so i think it's an important question for you because you were a principal now you're a superintendent and i think when chris was asking that he was asking that with the nuance but i just saw from the comments i saw i could tell that some people wasn't necessarily getting the nuance of it so i didn't want to jump in on your day i just wanted to make sure that this is something oh, it's really all good. that we have to deal with and it, but it's something that i'm fearful of like it's something that we have to be really cognizant of right and, and it'll it'll make you not want to be in the profession at all yeah no i mean like things could definitely turn sideways in terms of just like you know the the dynamics that you just talked about and you got to really be cognizant of those things in terms of any interaction that you have with folks and so yeah it's absolutely important that you address situations you make people feel the way that they want to feel um, but not without, not by compromising yourself. Like I'm not going to have a conversation with you just to make you feel good about yourself. I'm going to have a real conversation with you. And if it's a conversation that leads to you having tears, I'm going to have a witness there in order to document the fact that I didn't say anything to evoke those tears and that those tears are, are you and something that you have to deal with, not something that I have to deal with. And so, you know, those tears are not going to get you out of being accountable at all. Like mm. that, my job is to make sure that you're accountable, regardless of whatever the situation is, regardless of however much you cry, no matter how much you make your tears a weapon. At the end of the day, I want to know if these kids can learn, if these kids are learning. Right. Mm. And that's that's mm-hmm. that's that's what it means for me. WWW. Yeah, I put uh, in the Dr. Seaton, Kelly Seaton, who you all have. I'll, I'll put it back up for you. I'll put it back up for you, Reef. Go ahead. Oh, no worries. Uh, Dr. Kelly Seaton, uh, you know, wrote an article a few years ago about, you know, how do black people respond, um, you know, to white women's uh, tears. And, and um, you know, I put it in our private chat, Cola, you know, um, will transfer it over to the to the comments. But, you know, this is a this is a real thing that people deal with. Now, I was just commenting on Naomi's uh, www. You know, the W. That's uh, that's it's it's real. It's real. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, so and sometimes in front of the kids too, right? Like it's uh, it's not just you know maybe sitting in front of Ray doing it. It may be. What? In front man, of they children, pull tears, they pull them tears out like it's an MX card. Listen, man, like anytime, <laughs> like that thing is ready. That is like, like hey. they are Clint Eastwood fast on the draw with that card, fam. And and I've seen it not just in education. As a social worker, I saw it a whole bunch. When it's like, yo, you need to be working with these people who are like, like actually homeless and like struggling. Like, why are we talking about you right now? I've seen it in academia. I've seen it in a professor. Like, wow. like I, I haven't all, seen that. I oh. seen it, in, bro. We made 
three. It was three white people, at least three, actually, that cried when we just asked them about the syllabus, bro. We was just like, hey, it ain't no black people on the syllabus. And I don't, the sniffling started. And we like, what is happening right now? Because you were attacking them, bro. Like, why are you attacking them like that? It's like, you know, we told them that uh, they treat us, that all the black people, like we lab rats and they all like in white coats. And it made, them, it made one of them cry. And he and mm. this, he and he cried like he like See, I told you he like cried right and it was like fam I just we just left I was like we taking a break right now so I wanted my money back but um continue I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah when you use that Amex analogy bro it hit it it, it, it hit because yo if you got an Amex card then you know that shit ain't got no limit and. Mm, yeah, people, these right. people know what their weapons are. Listen, bro, these, 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 the, we need a name, right? For like, I know Karen is used or whatever, but there needs to be a name for these folks that are, that know the power that they got and know what those tears and that emotion has. And they know the words to say, like, I felt uncomfortable or like, I threatened or aggressive, right? Like, those words uttered means a a world of hurt (laughs) for the black man that is usually targeted at. Say that. Um, And and students, right? Like, I I had, uh, I remember a, a teacher said, you know, these seventh graders were bullying her. I'm like, that's impossible. Like they they're not bullying. I'm like, what are they doing? They were rolling their eyes and sucking their teeth. I'm like, man, that means my daughters are bullying me all day go a day. Like, you know, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like that ain't bullying. <laughs> they're being kids. I mean, what trips me out about that though is like every one of us faces somebody in this field who comes at us with like your teacher bashing or you're being too hard on teachers or you're being this blah 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 blah. And my as a parent, my pushback always says, You are not the victim, right? I don't care whatever happens in your day. You are not the victim. The the kids at the other end of your educational malpractice will always be the victim. You have a college degree, which only a certain portion of the United States people have that. So you're going to be okay, right? So the crying and the bashing and the middle class feelings and all of that type of stuff, it's not that you want to, you know, push it out of the way. It's just that the kids are really the victim. I think it's doubly hard though, if you're going to be a male in, in education and have to know how to navigate those things mm-hmm. you know the way however you're supposed to do it i don't because know it, that's, that's not something that they're teaching you in your master teaching program bro that's no and it's something that'll have you leave the field won't it it'll have for a lot of people to have them leaving your first nah, you, you know what you, you know what they are t- they're teaching you not how to deal with it if you are a white woman they are teaching you how to deploy it and how okay, to absolutely. use it and and it's the same way we just had this nuanced conversation listen i was there i did it you know what i'm saying like and in this doctoral program it's like it's like yo are y'all like just transmitting codes to like these people first they tell them that that basically they can only they're the only people that can save these poor black and brown kids right like and then you gotta let's look at their culture right and they'll suggest something like do a ride through on like through like that neighborhood like it's the fucking zoo right like it, I, I see it like it is I mean it's crazy how they kind of build that in in some of those programs it, it's there though I promise you I'm not crazy I no, you're absolutely not crazy. As I'm going through it right now, it's like, yo, I'm just like, damn. Like everything that you say, it's like I try to hold it in until I'm done. So like August, September, like I'll be able to talk about it a lot more than I'm talking about it now. But everything that you're going through and everything that you're experiencing, bro, 
is I'm experiencing it and it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, yeah, like you'll see it with parents, like if a parent comes up, like Chris just said, right? If I come and I ask some some direct like questions about my child's performance <laughs> and you start crying, it's like, wait, time out. Wait, first off, <laughs> you are not the victim here. I'm asking you about your job performance as it pertains to yeah. this thing that I'm like that has my DNA. Like, yeah. what are you like that is it's so warped, Joe. It's so it's so crazy and perverted. But now the reason why I think it's good that we're talking about this on your day, Ray, is because is I don't think it's as hard for people to connect those dots. I think a few weeks ago they would have called us crazy, but now they're seeing all these white women weaponize it on camera. And it's like, yo, we where you been? Because this happens like yeah. daily in some places. I've oh, been at yo school board meetings, yo. I've seen them come up and cuss out the black superintendent or cuss out the black teacher, cuss out the black official. And as soon as they say something back in their two minute response, they start crying and say, why are you attacking me? That's all you get when you look when you look at when you look at when you look at the arguments that are captured. Right. All you see is the black response. All you see is the response that happened after they initiated the response. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I love that people are starting to see that this is two sides of the same coin. I mean, there's there's violence in the classroom. There's violence in the street. You know, the police officer and their the officers and their unions have a masculine way of policing the body. And the, the, the feminine and the other side of the coin is their sisters in the classrooms who who police the mind. And, and, and they play all kinds of tricks and games with you or whatnot. And, and God help us if we keep turning our kids over and thinking that that's okay, like that, that's, that's how this is going to work. Um, but I keep Ray, I keep going back to the same thing with you. I'm always fascinated by what keeps you in it, how you don't lose your, you know, lose your cool in it. You you've extended through it. You've been through some things and you keep going. Uh, and that's not statistically the story. No, statistically, that's not something that that happens or is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, so, oh, go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Keep going. What drives me, man, is 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 the fact that I want, I definitely wanted my daughter to see somebody in in her school that looked like her. And so me being a principal of her school, I mean, me being like the superintendent and being in a leadership capacity in her school, she sees somebody in leadership. And so now she knows that that's something that she can aspire to. Uh, and she's sick with it. She walk around talking about, she says she's the boss because her last name is Ankrum. And like, you know, she, know, <laughs> she knows and understands the power that she wields in these classrooms as well. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's I, I love that. And the fact that I was able to be my son, I was principal at the time when my son was there. Mm. The fact that I was able to be the school leader while he was in school uh, at my at my school. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. So, but for me, you know, it's, it's, it's like I said earlier, man, it's that leadership tree, being able to see people grow for me, that, that motivates me to want to uh, find more people to grow and, um, and become leaders. Because I think that, you know, that's how you really make change to the system. People coming from you in terms of your ideologies and how you think and opening up schools and, and building their capacity to be able to change. So that's that's it's small scale change, but it's change. Well, I think that was a good segue to another question that uh, Sharif had brought up earlier. Uh, and I want to make sure that we discussed it. Uh, Reef, I'll cue you up, but uh, I'll let you contextualize it for the good brother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of people are, are 
uh, talking about like, you know, what the fall may look like. And, and you're an experienced leader. You have uh, three principals on your team. And I'm just curious, you know, some people are, you know, in the, in the spring, people were caught off guard in a lot of different ways. Um, they hadn't already invested. So one, they weren't investing in the schools and like it was the 21st century. Um, two, they were caught off guard. But now, we know what it is, <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, but I still am nervous that there are a lot of principals and district leaders who are not thinking, um, you know, deeply enough about what this can look like, what it should look like. And so I'm just curious if you could share some of your, you know, wisdom and, and experience. Yeah. So um, fortunately for us, we weren't one of those schools like we mm-hmm. had invested in our infrastructure. So first thing that I'll say is invest in your infrastructure if you're a school, especially if you're a charter school. So if you're sitting on uh, additional revenues at the end of the year, make sure that you're spending that money. You're a not for profit. So you shouldn't be carrying over any money on your balance sheets anyway but um so invest in computers like one-to-one for kids right because like you don't know what's going to happen with a second wave of COVID because it's inevitable there's 21 states now that are reporting that uh there's an increase or uptick in COVID cases and so you know we want to be in school in September but if we're not in school in September then we need to make sure that you know all of our kids have internet so we've been um constantly on the phone with Optimum Online. They're the, uh, the monopoly in New York. Uh, making sure that our uh, making sure that our parents um, are calling them, letting them know that, hey, even if I have an outstanding bill, um, I, I can't pay it at this time and, and my kid needs to learn. And uh, they've been very receptive to our school in terms of give, give, giving those kids internet access. So I'm thankful to them for that. Um, and then just build building capacity with your teachers, man. Like Zoom learning, it takes a toll on you. And the reason why it takes a toll on you is because you actually have to work. Um, and and that's different from like being in a classroom and facilitating learning in a classroom as opposed to being on Zoom and like making sure kids are engaged when they can be easily distracted when they're in home, when they're at home and they're not in school where you can control their environment. So, you know, that's that's been a couple of things that we've been working with as well. And then also just like the safety measures of um, the safety measures that we're doing, like we, we had to make sure that we did a clean, a thorough clean, maybe a couple of them. <laughs> um, and then uh, we're looking into like putting in uh, thermal stations for uh, for teachers and kids to where like we can read temperatures and do all these other things and whatnot. The nurse is working with us in terms of uh, building our capacity to be able to do that. Um, I mean, there's some other things that that we're looking into doing, but the planning starts now. The planning doesn't start in the summer. The planning starts right now in order for you to be able to to, to know what you're going to be able to do. So there's a lot of things that should be happening on fiscal budget uh, 2019-20 that you should be investing in your your school now as opposed to waiting for the next fiscal budget if you still have monies that you you can kind of expend. So, fellas, this hour is like flown by. We're in the last 10 minutes. Uh, so I'm going to ask you one more before we wrap into final thoughts. Um, and just to sum up this entire conversation, man, like what do, what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy? Mm-hmm. Man, that's a that's a really good question, bro. Good. So you're going to get the full screen for it. 
<laughs> I appreciate the full screen, man. Listen, so first and foremost, man, I, yo, I appreciate you, brothers. I, you know, I know everybody had their own show, and you know, a lot of work went into everybody's show. But Charles, man, I appreciate the drop, uh, fellas. I appreciate y'all doing these uh, these really good questions, making me think. Um, and audience, I appreciate y'all coming through for me. I feel good uh, with these comments or whatever. So thank y'all for that. So my legacy, man, I, I just I want to be remembered as leaving the world better, cleaner than I found it, bro, or better than I found it. Um, it's very simple. You know, it's, I live my life in a way in which, you know, I want to make sure that I do well by others so that when I'm not here, you know, there aren't negative things being said about me, man. People are lifting my name, you know, people, people walking around saying TSA Ray was a good guy. You know, that's 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 what I'm looking at, bro. So I appreciate you for asking that question. TSA Ray. Uh, so, fellas, uh, in our last 10 minutes, we're going to go around. Uh, Ray, we're going to leave a final, final word for you to close us out. Uh, Sharif, give us your final comment, thought. It could be whatever heartfelt thing you want to say uh, to Ray. And, uh, and, and we're going to wrap around in that way. So, Chris, we coming to you next, brother. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate, you know, um, you know, one what Ray does, what he what he stands for. Um, he's a black man um, superintendent uh, leading schools, and he was a black male who was leading classrooms and now leading districts. He was left. He started in uh, Long Island as a as a uh, guest teacher and came back as uh, as a superintendent, principal and superintendent. And I just think that's that's really dope. Uh, you know, I, I really appreciated uh, his conversation about uh, the disciplinary uh, system, like at the job fair right from the beginning. And he resisted that and made sure that he uh, was an instructional leader and, and looked at academics and the entire thing. And, and, and the other piece was training other leaders, right? Like just building the capacity and making sure that this was not an ego driven position for him, but it was for, uh, you know, for the betterment of the the outcomes of his students. And I, I think that's just really dope, man. And just overall appreciate all the work that you do on um, ABH. And I, I don't understand why you like uh, secure so much. I, I don't understand that. But, you know, insecure. I insecure. Huh? Insecure. Oh, insecure. Secure, you know, you know, secure ain't the damn name of the show. Listen, I, I, I thought he was saying Shakira. I was like, what? <laughs> he likes Shakira too. Oh, okay. Uh, but you know, I, I just appreciate I appreciate his energy, man. He's always on. He's always on nine, you know. And that's 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 what's up. That's what's up, that, man. Bro. Uh, Chris, brother, it's it's on you, boss. Um, so. Ray, you know, I appreciate the way that you can handle multiple roles at once. I mean, you've got this role, this very important role as a school leader that focuses on outcomes and achievement. And you're proud of that. And at the same time, you have not become one of the system. You have like managed to be able to stay relatable to people inside and outside of the profession to be real and not, you know, I don't know, do that thing that people do when they start talking educational jargon and want to, to become like superintendents and stuff. They, they change and you haven't done that. And I appreciate that the thing that you push on constantly, even though people hear you 
you make jokes. They hear you be relatable, relatable Ray on, on this program or whatnot. But I don't think that they get just how serious you are about outcomes, which is the thing that all of us need to keep coming back to uh, uh, constantly. If we're going to talk about education, period, is like, how are the children? You know, what, what are the outcomes? And Secret as is told, that really is your main focus. It's a big focus. I, it's what I hear you uh, chime in about when you when we talk about other people's schools, like show me the numbers, show me what's going on with their kids. And it's funny because you have this reputation for being uh, um, uh, easygoing and, and easy to relate to and, and, and all of that. But I don't think people get how much of a balancing act you're doing in having the pedagogical part right and understanding the profession and the professional part, but also talking, walking and acting like a civilian, somebody who can re- relate to real people. Um, so it's rare, like you holding up two very rare, you know, two different different poles. You're holding them in, in one place. And I appreciate it, man. Always have appreciated you. And you've been doing a lot on this show for a long time. Right. People don't know that either. Ray has been like doing the most work on this show and keeping it going. Oh, they know the Facebook. I don't anymore. I do not anymore. And we can talk about it more. I used to. I don't anymore. Uh, And if you follow the Facebook, you know, because we made Ray stamp every uh, (laughs) reckless comment that he puts in the Facebook. Uh, It'll say something random that ain't got nothing to do with education. It'd be about insecure. And it'd be like, so it's all good. So yes, that brother does do a lot of work there. I'm going to say this. I think I agree. I want to echo what all the other brothers said. Um, You know, Ray and I probably, we fight the most. It's not even like these, these fights on here are not staged. It is not a, it's (laughs) very, very serious in the moment. Uh, But the rule that we have is we can go at each other's hearts at, on these or whatnot, unless one of us kind of says like, yo, that's a bit much, but we got to talk it out afterwards. So we'll get on the phone either the, that, that same night or the next day. Uh, and that's cause ran out to spend a lot more time together because we've, we've, we're the most confrontational. I, I, I want to appreciate him as the man and the father um, just because one, his daughter is the star of the Akram family. It's not close. Um, it is not close, uh, you know, and I, pre- but I appreciate that. Like I said, I, I actually get energy when I see all three of these brothers posting stuff with their kids. Like it, you know, um, I just think it's a beautiful thing because black dads get the shaft. Um, I will say this. I'm not, I don't know how many people know this. I'm not a very like, uh, what, how do you call it? I'm not the most sociable guy outside of the podcast stuff. I kind of do my own thing. I go into my own holes or whatever. And I know these brothers worry about me. I think all of them doing it some, in some level. Um, Ray is one of those people who's relentless. Like if I don't answer the phone, he will just keep calling. Uh, Whether I want him to or not, Uh, or he'll text or he'll check in or whatever. And he'll, and he will make me converse with him about whatever is happening. And, and, and I appreciate that. This is a, I appreciate this entire group. I'm the oldest. I'm used to taking care of a lot of things. And here I am not just the youngest. I'm the youngest by a lot. These some old Negroes. Like these Negroes is old. Um, so I, I mean, I would, what the what the hell is this? They didn't take a left turn here. What the what the hell is this? So so I will say I will say uh, I embrace all that. I embrace all that. I, I, I don't. That. You're <laughs> talking about us like we Chicken George. Brother, I came. I came. With age in our co- in our community is wisdom. So I, I, I would came take that. on this conversation mm. talking about how moisturized Chris was because I'm impressed. Mm. 
You know what I'm mm. saying? You could be an ashy old Negro, but you're not. You I'm not ashy. Right. No, no. Bro, you catch not, me on right? a good day. Yeah, you catch me on a good day. You know, <laughs> catch me on a good day. I say that though because this podcast has been a meant a lot to all of us. Uh, it has been a lot that's going into it, a lot of work, and I appreciate all of you. And Ray, I appreciate you uh, at times being the heart of the podcast. So thank you, and you take us out however you feel necessary. Yeah, bro, tell so, us, Republican Ray. Bro, hey, <laughs> I also, Mister Man, he's a, he, I only know two black men who are Republicans. So he's, he's you know what? We did this whole hour, and we, we didn't, didn't mention touch that. On the fact we did Somebody, not mention that Ray yeah. is a Republican. Don't how did we do that for an entire? I just asked the question. I'm like, yeah, how did we not talk about that? Listen, for for him to be a Republican, first off, he talks about what the Democrats need to do more than anybody else. I worked for the. I I am like was an officer in the Democratic Party, right? Like Mm -hmm. over like the state. You know what I'm saying? Like I was. I am so sorry for you, brother. Mm. But go ahead. I'm just saying. He yeah, that's why you don't answer calls now. <laughs> he talks about it probably. He, so I don't really think Ray is a Republican. I really don't. I truly do not think he is. Yo, I showed y'all that I'm a card carrying member of the Republican Party. I ain't I never seen a card. I put it on Facebook when somebody questioned. I mean, uh, Twitter when somebody questioned me one time. I'll put it up. Don't worry about it. Right, Another so, thing that people don't know about Ray. Ray Ray is about his dollars too, and, and, that, <laughs> and that makes him a Republican. Like he, that's another thing. It don't come out a lot. He's about his alcohol and his dollars, like those two things. So 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 so. No nobody on here on this podcast likes Trump. Let's just be. So you just got a question if you were a Trump Mm-mm. Republican. I wanted to be that's very. True. No, That's no, true. No, no. Yes. I'm a uh, I'm a John McCain, Mitt Romney type Republican. Um, mm-hmm. Mitt Romney, 2024. Um, so but what I want to say is this. All right, so so so, what we could do is this. We could talk about my list. Because Chris, I know you got a lot of shit to say about my list. Brother, we at the hour point, brother. You supposed to be yeah. no wait. No, no, I want no, no, this is no, no. this is gonna get oh, good. Patreon. I want to put your list. Patreon, 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 Patreon. Okay, all right, well, all right, all right, all right. Sell it to the Patreon. Sell it. Yeah, okay. okay. So Patreon members, uh, wait, I, do we have a banner? If you're not a part of our Patreon, you need to be a I part of you. our Patreon. We get it. I man. got you. Keep going. And so tonight, we are talking about the list that I distributed uh, earlier this week uh, with my top ten. Um, well, not necessarily top 10, but 10 people that could be considered for the uh, education secretary under a Joe Biden administration. And so it's caused a lot of controversy. Uh, and we're going to talk about it tonight in the Patreon. So if you are a pa- so, Charles, we got to be clear because, you know, Patreon was thinking that they're going to join the conversation, too. So. No, I mean, I mean, we're going to do it as a we can. We're re- right. We're recording a Patreon episode. And then also um, the last thing I want to say is if you guys are into the eight black hands, we got another group coming out under our umbrella, uh, the AOS podcast. These brothers are powerful in uh, in terms of uh, what they're going to say. AOS, AOS, AOS. I thought they were coming on the show. What does AOS mean, brother? Alpha Omega Sigma. So there's an alpha in the group, there's an omega in the group, and there's a sigma in the group. The AOS podcast. And um, their first episode is going to be Juneteenth. Um, June 19th, because I know some of y'all don't really know what Juneteenth is. <laughs> That's a damn shit. <laughs> there's some of y'all that still ain't free. <laughs> and we, we, we'll talk about that in the Patreon too. But yeah, that's all I got. That's what's up, man. P, 
people. Thank y'all so much. Ray, uh, thank you for being such a good sport around this, fellas. Thank you for showing up. Uh, that is the end of our personal episodes and i'm glad that we got a chance to do it uh for our patrons uh if you want more uh, access to the eight black hands you want to join us over at patreon.com slash abh there you will find extra content uh one-on-one stuff you will find book clubs and just more access to us as a whole and as we start to put out more content uh again we do an extra show uh chris is working on a a, a a book club that should be starting up fairly soon and uh, it's just more access so and don't forget to tell people about this podcast and uh, we will have this up for folks to download we will see you all next time peace you have been listening to the 8 Black Hands podcast with Ankrum Cole El Mecki and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening. <laughs>